So I was, uh, I was sitting over there thinking that we're live now, and uh, we're, we're on Facebook, and I, started, and I was thinking about my mug. I know, I think about the weirdest things when I sit over there. And I have Cabela's on it. And so I was wondering if anybody could call Cabela's. Maybe I can get some product placement, and we can get, I can get some free stuff for maybe some fishing stuff. Um, but uh, or maybe Allegheny Sportsman, maybe we can get a mug from him and get some stuff. But anyway, I'm just playing around. Um, it's good to see everybody. Welcome. It's good to see uh, everybody on this beautiful day. It's, it's starting to get warmer. It's starting to get nice out. Uh, as uh, Wes told you that I'm going on vacation, I'll be going down toward Martinsville. And we'll be going camping for the week. And uh, I'm excited. It'll be uh, well overdue. I haven't taken a vacation in about two years. So um, it'll be nice and relaxing. I will not be answering your phone calls. And so don't even try. Um, but uh, if, if an emergency comes up, call Teresa and she'll get a hold of me. But um, around this time last year, I was a candidate to be your pastor. Um, it was actually in about two weeks. It was on Mother's Day. I came out and I visited. And, uh, and I came up here and I preached a message on revival. And I, and I talked about uh, uh, the, the Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It'll be up on your screen real quick. And I preached on this message. And it was that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. And that was the message I preached on. I really felt that God was calling me to preach this message. Uh, I have a heart and a passion for church revitalization. Um, I was a church planter before, uh, a few years ago. And as much as I do love church planting, I felt that there was a lot of churches out there that are just in need of some, some love, some, some TLC, some, some strategy. And, and, and somebody can come in and help take a church and, and move it toward being healthy and, and growing and vibrant. And so, um, so that's my heart. That's my passion. And, and so when I came out here, I preached this message on revival to you guys, and I got a unanimous vote, a 100% vote, which is unheard of for Southern Baptists because we don't agree on anything, really. I mean, we agree on a few things, but, but as Southern Baptists, we're always bickering about silly things. And so to get a 100% vote was really quite an accomplishment, quite a neat thing to have. Um, I still remember accepting the call right there, and Gary was teary-eyed, and, and uh, he was excited, Gary Wallace, and, and uh, it was a good time. We were glad to come out here. We're still glad we're here. Uh, we're still glad to be in this area and, and, and ministering in this church. And when I, when I preached that message of revival, I remember talking a lot about how important it was to, for us to get on our knees and in how serious we are, we will, we will seek God and everything, and it will be a priority in our lives. And as I was interviewing, I remember talking a lot about how serious you guys were. I would ask you questions like, you know, look, it's going to be challenging to get to change. It's going to be challenging to... Um, to, to revitalize the church or, or have a revival, and how serious are you? And I would ask those questions because, you know, as a pastor coming into a church, I didn't know you guys. You guys didn't know me, but I had to get a feel of how serious you guys were about this thing called revitalization and, and or renewal. And I still remember and asking, I said, how serious are you? And there's somebody right here in this audience, you'll know who, who you are when you said this, but uh, this, this woman in the audience said, we are hungry. We are hungry for change. We are hungry to do something different. And that was a sign to me that says, you know what? These folks are ready. These folks are like, they're ready to change. They're ready to try new things. So these folks are ready 
to, and they know that if nothing changes, they will die as a church. And they were willing to go far. Now I want you to know over the past year that I've been here, uh, there's been some great times and there's been a little challenges here and there, but overall I am proud and I want to say I truly am proud of the direction that this church is going. I am proud of the work that people have put in to, and hard work that they've put in to seeing this church change. And a lot of you, most of you, if not all of you, have embraced a lot of change. I mean, shoot, two weeks after I got here, we changed the order of service. That's unheard of. I told another pastor that, and he's like, are you nuts? You don't do that. And I said, well, these people are ready for change. And I went with what I believe God was leading us to do. It was important things. And over the years, over, the, over this year, we have done certain tremendous things that are different than we've done before. And I, I, I truly am, from the deepest of my heart, proud of all of you that have participated in this stuff. I really am. Look at some of the things we've done um, in the name of God. See, these are things that Jesus, our God, has led us to do, and we've been blessed by following him. We had a coat drive. The coat drive back in November usually ran around 90 coats over the past few years. I think, actually, I'm sorry. Um, Kyle Moore was telling me that the year before that was like 60, but the best year was the first year, and that was 90. We did over 250 coat drives. That was fantastic. We were able to give out coats to all kinds of people. Most of it was from Gerald and a connection that Gerald had. And thank you, Gerald, for being able to participate in that. I mean, it was awesome stuff. God blessed the coat drive. We looked at the Dolly Ann ministry started. We started reaching out to the Dolly Ann apartments, which very few churches do. There's only one or two churches that actually involve themselves in there. And it's very, very infrequent. It's like once a month they're up there and that's it. We started a, a Thanksgiving dinner up there. We did a fall festival up there. We did a coat drive for them. Now, and we do a quarterly soap shop, which provides them opportunity to earn points to get soap and, and, and hygiene products and things like that that they can't afford. We're able to reach out to them. We started a, a small group studies on Wednesday nights here, but we also have on Thursday nights a small group up there, and I have regular attendees every single week, and they don't want to come to the Wednesday night here because they love the, two, the Thursday night so much. They want to stay there. They love it. So that's connecting with people, and, they, and some of those same people are still coming to the Wednesday night also. We're having a, a variety. I mean, things are changing. Things are growing. And these are all blessings that we've gotten just out of the Dolly Ann ministry. The bus ministry, Dave Willis has been praying for a bus for, I don't know, two, three, four years, he said. And, and now all of a sudden God provides us with a bus ministry for dirt cheap. Thanks to the connections of people in this church and God providing for us. And that bus is paid off debt free. And that is an awesome blessing in itself. We've been using social media, and now, like I said, or like Wes pointed out today, we are on well, Facebook Live right now. We are live, so anybody around the world can watch this service and hear the gospel coming out of this church. We have, we're on podcasts, we're on, uh, we're, we're on uh, um, all the uh, websites, and we're everywhere. We're everywhere, so to give people an opportunity to hear us. There's people in Goshen and, and, what is it, Millsboro or something like that, watching and listening to our sermons here and our messages here, but they can't drive an hour to come here, so they listen online. We met them at the men's, or the men's conference. 
Oh, I didn't even put in the conferences. We had two successful conferences back to back. Look at the amazing things that are going on in this church. The wonderful things that are going on. The new structure of leadership the, and, and the way things are moving a little quicker so we can make decisions a little faster so we're not sitting on our hands having opportunities fall away from us because we can't make a decision quick enough. We've started training the leadership and training the deacon ministry. The deacons got, went through their first training in over 15 years. First training in over 15 years. So these are just, I mean, this is just some of the things that we've done in the past year. Some of the things that God has led us to do. And they are wonderful, and I'm proud of you for standing up and going for it. And going forward instead of backwards. We are moving toward a positive directions. And we have some magnificent blessings that we've seen. Now, we've, although we've accomplished a lot over this year, there's still a lot to be done. There's a lot of work ahead of us. This is not a time for us to look back and say, wow, look at all these things we've done. Okay, I think it's time to, to settle down and, and go you know, slow down a little bit. No, this is the time where we keep going. It took many years to get to the point where the church is small. How many years? 20 years? 15 years? 10 years? Let's just say 10 years. It's going to take years for this church to get vibrant, big, uh, not, and I'm not talking about numbers, just vibrant and healthy the way it's supposed to be. It takes time. So this is not a time for us to lay back. This is a time that we, we should not stop. We could keep going. And this message this morning is going to be very, very important. This message is about a new vision for the future. I'm not going to share exactly every detail of the vision, but it's something that we are going to talk about, a revitalization and renewal. And that's very important for us if we're going to survive as a church. The reality is, is that Covington Baptist Church is still in desperate need of church revitalization. We are still in desperate need to be renewed. We must consider learning and practice the various principles of church renewal and church revitalization for multiple reasons. One, to help us grow because we need to undo some of the, some of the things that has caused us to go down that road and get smaller and smaller. We need to undo those things. Think of an addict that, uh, that has taken years of bad habits, and it takes years for them to undo those bad habits and replace them with good habits. So there's time, there's things that we're going to have to do, and, um, and we need to learn these things. God, for God to bless this church, he must trust the leadership. We need to get involved in the church, not just on certain times, but involved in all aspects of the church. See, some folks believe that we can do the same thing the exact same way and we're going to get new results. So that's just not how things work. We're in a different culture today. We're different, a different walk of life. People, the millennials are, are, you cannot separate Facebook and social media away from them. So we have to use these things in order to reach them. You cannot do the same thing you've done before and expect different results. I want to share with you some information about the current state of the church. This information is, is facts. These are not just made up. I didn't just make up numbers. These are true facts. I can show you the research. These are numbers, and it's going to break your heart. Look at this first one right here. There, is over, there are 344,000 Protestant evangelical church in the United States in the eight main denominations that are plateauing or declining. That's not how many total there are. That's how many that are declining. 
that are dying. 300,044. 344,000. Over 82% of American churches are in decline or plateauing. 82% are declining or plateauing. Each year, between 3,500 and 4,000 churches die in North America alone. Within our own Southern Baptist Convention, it's between seven to 900 churches die a year. And now, according to John Mark, uh, John Mark Clifton, who's a, works for the North American Mission Board, he's an expert in church renewal and church revitalization, he leans toward the 900 mark on a regular basis. 900 churches a year die, Southern Baptist churches. Only 7.3% of small churches are growing in North America currently. Only 7.3% of small churches, small churches are considered churches that are under 100 in attendance. So only 7.3% of churches under 100 in attendance are growing. These churches have the inability to regain the critical mass necessary to regrow the church, utilizing the tools and techniques they presently employ. 50 to 60 churches in North America close the door each day, I'm sorry, each week. Of the churches that are 50 years old and older, which would include us, 50 years and older, only 9.2% are growing. Among the churches of all sizes, Church growth is rare. In fact, out of the, you look at all the churches in America, only 20% are actually growing. And when we talk about growing, I just want to uh, make a side mark. When I talk about these numbers and these growing, you know why that's important? A lot of people say, oh, we're not about the numbers. Well, we kind of are. Because if we're not sharing the gospel, we're not growing. And it's not about how many people we fit in the pews. It's about how many gospel presentations we're giving. How many people are coming to Christ. That's what's important. And when we talk about growing, that's what I'm referencing. In a series done by uh, Bill Day, who's an associate director of evangelism and church health in New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also a, a, a chairperson for the same department, he did a study, multiple studies, he says this. He says where he reports that currently there is less than 7%, 6.8% of our Southern Baptist churches which are healthy, growing churches. Key word, healthy, growing churches. Now, we have over 45,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. 45,000, that equals out to be approximately 3,000 churches are healthy. Only about 3,000 are healthy. In the United States, there's over 9 million people that go to church each week. You would think it would be so much more, but it's only 9 million out of the how many hundred million that we have here? Tom Cheney, who's an expert in church revitalization, says this. He says, it can be said that most churches in almost any North American denomination is in rapid decline or plateauing in its membership. Involvement within these churches is dwindling, and the laity seems powerless to muster the strength needed to get it growing again. Church revitalization is important. It's important for two reasons. One, for us to prevent ourselves from dying. We need to constantly be learning and growing and changing the way we do things in order to save us from dying. We have to be relevant to our culture. And relevancy does not mean change the gospel or change the Bible. I would refuse that. But what relevance is talking about is utilizing tools and techniques in order to reach 
more people for Christ and to be able to share that gospel with more people. Now, we, we need to do that to save churches, but we also need to do that because if we are healthy, we would need to know what it takes for us to prevent ourselves to get, down, to get that illness that's going to cause us to go south. So there's two reasons. One is to, prevent, or to, to help us heal, and two is preventive medicine. It's important for us to understand these principles of church revitalization and start taking it serious in our lives of the church. In a town called Sedlik, it's a small town in the Czech Republic, is famous for a, a church or a cemetery that it has uh, dates back to the 13th century. Now the cemetery, and over 40,000 people died of the Black Plague and they were bu- buried in the these, these, this cemetery. And it was just uh, piles of bones everywhere. In the 1400s, a, a Gothic church decided to build a, a, a church in the middle of the cemetery. And so what they did was, as they dug things out, they took all these bones and they built a crypt underneath the, underneath the church and put all the bones from the Hissite Wars and the Black Plague and underneath into this, this crypt. Underneath the chapel, there's over 40,000 bones or 40,000 people, should I say, is literally a church of bones. As we look across the country, some churches still have cemeteries on their properties. I know we don't have one, but and on the West Coast where I'm from, we don't see those too often. But out in Portsmouth and in Hampton Roads where my family's from, you see them everywhere, especially if you go out in the rural communities. We lived out in Franklin, Virginia, which is a small town, and it was everywhere. You see a church, you see a cemetery. That's, you see them all over the place. But see, you don't have to have a cemetery next to your church to have broken bones and dead bodies all around. See, if we don't keep evangelism as a top priority in our church, revitalization, uh, or keep it a top priority of our revitalization efforts, we will have pews occupied with people with dead spirits. They're not revitalized themselves. They're dry bones. I want you to look at, we're going to read through, I'm sorry, not Ecclesiastes, um, Ezekiel chapter uh, 37, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. It will be up on the screen. We're going to talk to a story about the valley of dry bones. Starting in the beginning, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by his spirit and he, sat me, and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. He let me uh, all around them and there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of uh, the Lord. This is what the Lord says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you may come to life. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy uh, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into the slain so that they may live. 
So I prophesied that he, as he commanded me. The breath entered him, and they came into life and stood at their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say that our bones are dried up, but our hope is, our, and our hope is perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open up your graves and bring you, from, bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I, am, when I open your graves and bring them up from them. Bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you down in your own land. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Now, if, if, if Ezekiel was in California, he'd be in, in Death Valley. This is just Death Valley, bones, uh, uh, dirt, sand, nothing living. And he saw that it wasn't just... It wasn't flesh and bones, it was just bones. These dried bones were, were people that were once busy, too busy, to spend time with God. To spend time walking close with God. They were just too busy for that. You know the story, I hope you know the story. It was uh, during this time the Hebrew people were living in exile in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar and his army took the people, they conquered and destroyed Jerusalem. And they forced the people to live in Babylon. They were far from home, they were lost, and they were dried up, wondering if their nation's identity was forever lost. They were, they were, a mindful, they were mindful that a couple hundred years ago, the people, the, their brethren up in the north got conquered by the Assyrians. And they're defeated and taken into exile and never heard from again. See, churches as well as believers today can and should begin to acknowledge the truth about church life and life in general can get dry. Often our busyness and a thousand other things besides the ministry and the work of the local church and association can cause us to feel fragmented and shattered. And when churches become dry, when churches become dry and our life becomes dry, we no longer feel that, that spirit in us. We no longer have that joy and that love for Jesus. I mean, we love him on a distance. We love him in theory, but we just don't feel that. We become dry. When that happens, we become discouraged. We become discouraged, and that's one of the greatest things the enemy does toward killing a church is discouragement. Discouragement will affect us. Discouragement will keep us from doing the things that we need to do. Discouragement will keep us from having that joy of Jesus in our lives. And it will just ruin the way we, our Christian walk. Discouragement is one of Satan's extreme tools for destroying churches and individuals. It's one of the greatest weapons he uses. And if you get discouraged, if the devil uses discouragement in you, you will not pray. You'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm just too discouraged. It's one of the first things you stop doing is praying. You might pray a little bit here and there, pray if you're called upon at church. You might pray over dinner, but you don't pray like you should pray. You shouldn't go into quietness and pray and just talk to the Lord. When you get discouraged, when the devil gets in there, you don't read the Bible, you no longer feel like you need to, or that desire goes away. You start losing that desire to come to church. You might come to church once in a while to, to visit your friends, or that might be your motivating cause. You come all the time for a visit your friends, but you don't come to learn more about the Lord. You don't come because it's a place that where you can worship the Lord, or it's, a or it's no longer a place to serve. 
If, you're, if the devil gets you with discouragement, you'll stop looking for Jesus. And we're left with busy people, broken bones, which are dry. Because of this weapon of discouragement, pastors all over the country are quitting the ministry. I want to share a few more statistics, and that'll be it for the day. Over 1,500 pastors leave the ministry permanently every month in America alone. 1,500 because of discouragement. 80% of pastors and 85% of pastors' spouses feel discouraged in their role. They don't feel like they're being able to live up to the standard that's expected of them. 70% of pastors do not have a close friend, confidant, or mentor. 70% of pastors don't have a friend in church. Do you hear me? Pastors are isolated. Over 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they don't have the skills because they went to college and seminary. They don't have a skill set outside of the church. And if they could, they would. 50%. Why? Because of discouragement. Over 50% of pastors' wives feel like their husbands entering the ministry was the most destructive thing that has happened to their families. 30% of pastors say that they had either been or are, are in an ongoing affair with a prisoner. 30% of pastors have had an affair with somebody. 71% of pastors stated that they were burned out and they battled depression beyond fatigue on a weekly and daily basis. One out of ten pastors will retire a pastor. Because of this weapon calls discouragement, the people of God become, down, uh, become downhearted, hopeless, bur um, burdened, and weary in doing, in, in well-doing, and become a valley of dry bones. The, the concern of dry bones should, should worry us. They should concern us. Not just pastors, not just leaders, but each other. If we have a brother or sister in Christ who is in dry bones, and they just don't have that zeal, they don't have that love for God, we need to brother, go up next to them and help them. We need to encourage them. We need to lock arms with them. The potential for a church to get dry bones should always be a concern to us. Many of these dying churches look great on the outside. We might be organized, uniformed, perfect in appearance, yet there is no transformation, no willingness to change for the good of the community, and no courage to stop listening to the complainer and start running to the runners. Ezekiel, the first two verses, I'm sorry, verse 2 and 3 that I read, says, He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And then he asked, God asked him, Son of man, can these bones live? Now these bones are as dead as you can get. Not only is it dry, but he even makes a comment that they're very dry. See, the prophet walks back and forth, and he, and he gets led around these bones, and, and he notices that they're very, very dry. These have been there for a long time. The, the dry bones are not something new. They've been there for a long period of time. 
And any suggestion that these bones could come back to life would be considered or appear ridiculous. If, if, if we went up and, and for those of you at hunt and you go up to the woods and you see some bones and there's no flesh on them. There's a big buck and there's no flesh on them at all. And you know those bones have been there a long time. And to think that those bones can come back to life and become a buck again seems pretty ridiculous. But then he gets asked, can these bones live again? He knew that if these bones could be brought back to life, it was only a matter of God understood. And that giving of that life once was a deed only God could accomplish. If we want the church to revitalize, if we want those bones to come back alive, then we need to focus on God. There's one thing to believe. God can heal a miracle like Lazarus or raise somebody from the dead or heal a sickness. But to, to take dry bones and, and rehydrate them and put flesh back on them, that may be hard to believe. And any rational people, person would say, you know what, that doesn't make sense and that's probably a no. But Ezekiel hesitates for a second. He thinks about it. And what is the answer of the Lord when he says, can these bones live again? He says, only you can revitalize these bones. Only you know, Lord. Here's a question for all of us that are gathered here today. Can you revitalize the church and bring it back to life, the church, if you're spiritually dry, emotionally discouraged, or physically dead? We can't do it without the Lord. We cannot revitalize this church without the whole church focusing on Jesus Christ and seeking Him in everything. I want to share a few things that we, can, uh, that we need in order to get the vitality back in this church, the vitality that, and back into each and every one of us. And the first one is to get a fresh word from the Lord. To get a fresh word from the Lord. In verse 4 he says, And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of God. So here's these dry bones that God is telling Ezekiel, Tell them. Go. Preach to them. Hear the word of God. Can you imagine a more tougher crowd? I've, I've preached here for almost a year now, and there's been a few times where I'm thinking, okay, do I have anybody's attention? Maybe my message was a little dry. Who knows? Maybe it was a tough weekend and you're falling asleep. But, you know, we all have those. And when, anytime you're a public speaker, you have moments where, you, where it's a little quiet and nobody's giving you a name in, and you're thinking, am I doing okay? But can you imagine preaching to a set of bones? That's the most difficult congregation ever. That church is called Dry Boneyard Baptist Church. I mean, that's like the worst thing you can do is preach to the bones. But here he is preaching these bones. But you notice that he didn't give some dry sermon. He didn't make something up. He went right to the Lord and preached the word of God. He didn't, he didn't give him a dry sermon. He gave him a divine word of God. He didn't receive word from some economist or some psychologist or Dr. Phil or, or uh, Jerry Springer or whoever else you might look to for divine wisdom. But he doesn't go to anybody. He doesn't go to Rush Limbaugh. He goes right to the Lord. And he gets a divine word from God. Ezekiel is called to be God's mouthpiece. Not, del not deliver Ezekiel mes Ezekiel's message, but God's message. And each one of us that are called to be preachers and teachers are called to preach God's word, nothing else. Nothing else. 
We are to preach the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost. And those of you that may say, well, that's not me. I'm not a preacher and a teacher. Well, are you a child of God? We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. And if we're all called to be the ministers of the gospel, we might want to dig into the word of God and start sharing that because we are all called to do that. Every single one of us. All of us are called to share the gospel and share the word of God. And if anyone can speak to dry, inanimate objects and have them respond, it is the Lord God. Notice that Jesus spoke to the wind and calmed the storms. Notice how Moses uh, called out to the Red Sea and, and parted the sea. He spoke to the rocks and water came forth in the desert. See, God spoke and they heard and responded. And it should not also be, shouldn't, should it not also be true of the bones that hear? The power of God can change the most hopeless lives, the most hopeless situations, the things that we face. And whatever it is that you face, whatever the circumstances are, God can resolve it. God can provide you the peace, comfort, direction, wisdom you need. We need a fresh word from God. We need to start opening our Bibles on a daily basis. All of us. The second thing we need is to get together as a church. In verses 7 and 8, it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared at the, uh, on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Notice how they were clicking together. They were, the bones were coming together, and they're clicking, bone to bone. That's what it says. It's kind of like, you know that song, uh, you know, the ankle bone connected to the, come on. There we go. You know, the hip bone's connected to the leg bone, whatever. I don't remember the song, but you know the song. It's kind of like that. You know, you got these parts and pieces coming together, and what are they doing? They're coming together to complete a full skeletal system. They're complete. They're coming together as one unit. See, some people are the backbone of this church by supporting ministries. See, other people are capable of doing the heavy lifting, and they're the leg bones. See, some people are, um, have the hands of, of the church, and they're, they're out there, and they have the ability to touch others. They're the ones that are, that are able to reach out. Then you have other people that have a good jawbone. That's me. I, I can preach the Word of God, and I have a good jawbone. And some people have that gift. Daryl has that gift, being able to teach. Some of us have that. Some people are, have the knee bones and they're able to kneel down and pray and they're prayer warriors and they're, they're part of that and they have those knee bones. Some of them have great ear bones because they're great listeners and they can hear the, the hurt behind the words. I can't do that. Some people have that gift where they, they share something and they, they hear the true hurt that's in behind the words. And they listen, they have a keen hearing ability to listen to people and listen to a friend. But you know what's, what? There are certain bones that church revitalization and church renewal does not have room for. And this is one of them is a wishbone. 
There is no wishbone here. Those are the folks who wish things were different, and they wish things were like they were before, but they're not willing about to bring change. They're not willing to work with others or provide new ideas. They're not willing to get out of their comfort zone. They want it the way they want it. That's a wishbone. There's also no knuckle bones in church revitalization. And these people are everywhere. They're willing to fight everyone and everything in order to get their way. They lack compromise. They lack participation. They complain. You rarely see them in meetings. You rarely see them in Bible studies. You rarely see them in planning committees. But they sure do complain about everything that goes on. The only way a church can survive is through working together as a cohesive unit. A man and his young son... I uh, told his young son to break a bundle of sticks for firewood. And the guy leaves for a few minutes. He comes back and he sees his son getting um, really frustrated. And he's taking these sticks and he's, and he's breaking them over his knee and he's causing bruises. And he tries to stomp on them and they're just, they're barely bending and they're not breaking. Nothing's handling. He throws them against the wall. He stomps hard on them and they're just not breaking. The father looked at him, went, walked over to the bundle and cut the rope that was holding them together and said, break them one at a time. See, when we work together, when we work together, it's hard to break us apart. But if we're working as individuals, we'll snap. Divided, we fail and be broken. United, we're strong. Can these bones live? Can these old bones live? This church is over 175 years old. Can these bones live? Absolutely. We need a fresh word from the Lord. We need to get together in unity. And we need to rise up and get God's spirit. Ezekiel chapter nine, or, uh, chapter 37 verse 9. Uh, he said, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. And prophesy, son of man, and say it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into the slain that they may live. Scooting down to verse 14. It says, I will put my spirit, and the spirit is in capital letters, which is talking about the Holy Spirit. I will, talk, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Notice that these bones only find life with an act of God. It wasn't about them. They couldn't bring their own selves to life. It was only by a sovereign act of God could he raise or revive the dead. A local church stuck in rapid decline may also find renewals in their life and be renewed and revitalized, but it has to be an act of God. Can, and ask anyone if these bones can live, and the answer is clearly no way. Yet God is able. Jesus is willing and the Holy Spirit is anxious for any church to seek him again. And the Lord assured that these discouraged captives of Israel, that he could resurrect his people from this death-like captivity. See, while these people were in, in Babylon, God said, you may live. Then, God, then the Lord would bring them back to their land, and God was able to say, you will live. The miraculous transformation that would be accomplished through the Holy Spirit of God, which God would put in his people, and God would be able to say, you will live. When Jesus Christ was rejected, reviled, and flogged, and finally killed on the cross, God was able to say, you will live. When Jesus Christ was rejected, oops, when the early church faced opposition and persecution of such intensity, 
The desire was to make Christianity extinct. God was able to say, you will live. When we die, when we had transgressions against God and sin, and Jesus took that penalty on the cross, what did he say? He said, to tell us die. He said, it is finished, meaning he's taken it all and is done. And God was able to say, you will live. When we are crushed by guilt, without vision, overwhelmed, under attack, struck in a barren place, at the end of our robes, when we have no place to go, and when there is without hope, God is still able to say, you will live. Regardless of whether you're spiritually dry, mentally discouraged, or physically just disconnected from God, we can still hear God say, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Rick Warren says in the Purpose Driven Church, he says this, it says you will never know that God is all you need until God is all you've got. This passage within Ezekiel challenges us to open, us, open ourselves up to the life-giving power of God, open us up to God's spirit. And church revitalization renewal is the Lord's way to give life back to a declining church. And as you read this passage, my hope is that when you look at Ezekiel and you see him preaching to these dry bones, that God can renew us. And I hope that you will think about revitalization. I hope you think about about how God can work in this church. God is saying to you right now in the days to come, be the mouthpiece of God. Share his gospel. Deliver the message of Jesus Christ for church revitalization Go to the community, which is dry and lifeless, and let them know that there is hope. There are people all around our, co- our community struggling. Just the other day, there was, what, 213 indictments for drug, u- drug abuse and drug dealing. 213, I think 60-something people arrested. There's an epidemic here in our community. We need to do something about it. I want to ask each and every one of you that's hearing this message some questions. Is there a dryness deep down inside your bones? Is this dryness that will not go away? Is there a thirst which cannot be quenched? Are these the valley of dry bones speak of spiritual condition of the nation? Are these and we can learn a lot from this verses. Do you have that dryness in you? God caused the prophet to go back and forth amongst the bones and we do that every day when we go to the shops, when we walk, drive down the street, and when we walk to the store, when we walk around the neighborhoods, we walk around and we see people all over. What do we see? Do we, see the, do, we, do we care enough about the people in our community to share God's hope? Do we care enough about them to stop and say, hey, I would like to invite you somewhere? Or hey, I would like to have lunch with you and share something important to you. Have you heard about Jesus? I would like to share that with you. Do we care enough about our people and our community to step out of our own comfort zone, to turn off the TV, to close the books, and go do something that's going to share the gospel with people? Do we care enough about our communities to make a difference? See, Jesus did. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Wept over it. He loved this community. No matter, even though the, the Jewish people were going to kill him and he knew what was going to happen, he knew this, this the, the plan that God had for him and he knew all about it, but it broke his heart because he loved them so much and he wept over his community. Paul did too. His heart was desire and prayer for his nation was that he would be saved and he even said, that, uh, said some words about that where if, even if he died, 
His, he would die again and again and again. And he also said that he would give up his salvation for his nation. He would give up his own salvation for the nation of Israel. That's how much he loved his community. It may be that we feel totally inadequate to meet the needs of today. How could you be more inadequate than Ezekiel preaching to a bunch of bones? That's a hard job. Our inadequacy or our adequacy is no more the issue than the condition of our bones. What really matters is do we trust God? Did God, God did not send a social reformer to the valley. He didn't send an educator. He didn't send a politician to take care of things. Who did he send? He sent a prophet and a preacher. Ezekiel was in the valley, not at the invitation of the dry bones, not by his own inclination, or inclin his own invitation. He was there by the sovereign will of God. God led him to the valley. The God who brought Ezekiel from despair to hope, who brought hope to the defeated nation, and who rose Jesus from the dead is our God. And this God is more powerful than any sin we could ever commit. Any sin of mankind. Every single person we go out in our community and we start talking to them about, about Jesus, there's not a sin that they've committed that can't be washed by the blood of Jesus. We need not be afraid though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or find ourselves in the valley of dry bones. When we go out today, I urge you to seek opportunities to share Jesus' love with everybody you can. Have courage. Trust God. Don't worry about what to say. Just trust him. That's the only way we're going to revitalize this church is to have a fresh word of God. We work together and we let God's spirit do what only he can do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for, for your love. And, and Father God, thank you for Ezekiel and this example of, of preaching to dry bones and, and his faithfulness and, and his um, acknowledgement that it's only through you can you restore this community and restore this church. But I do know, without a doubt, Lord, that that is your desire for us. I do not believe that you have a desire to shut doors and uh, uh, shut churches' doors and close them down. I know that you have a desire to re restore this church and renew it to a vibrant, healthy, God-loving, God-fearing, gospel-focused church. And Father God, I ask you to help us have a fresh word from you. We ask the Holy Spirit to be in our lives and, and reveal scripture to us and reveal what you'd have us do and, and, and just give us a new desire and, and a new life in your word. Take the dryness away to anybody that feels that. Make the dry bones alive. And Father God, we ask you to give us unity together. We need the unity here. We need to be able to work together. And if we're on opposite teams, Lord, we're not going to succeed, Lord. You've called us to have unity in your church, and we ask you to help us stay humble and help us work together. And finally, Lord, we just ask the Holy Spirit to do what you do and bring people or convict people of your gospel. Give us opportunity to share your love with others as we go out to our community. 
I love you, Lord, and I'm so thankful to send, uh, that you sent me here to be able to preach the gospel in this community. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.